I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Al Pellets, this is Brian with Mike and Becky. We are here once again, here by the Al Pellet, and we are super excited to talk about everyone's favorite topic, the reason why people become ag teachers, curricular resources. Woohoo! <laughs> I have been waiting all day to push that button. Y'all, we, we got new toys to play with here for the podcast, and it is exciting stuff. No, we, gonna kill you. <laughs> and he is pushing our buttons. <laughs> oh, I got more. I got more. Uh, we are excited to have with us today Trey Easterly. Trey, welcome back to Al Pellets. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You know, it's always great when people agree to be on Out Pellets with us, and it's even more exciting when people agree to come back. And so we don't even know whether that we we, we thank you for that, but also question your judgment a little bit. Sure. Well, I mean, yeah, a little from <laughs> He's also questioning his judgment. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as we get started today? Sure. So I'm an assistant professor in agricultural education at the University of Florida. Uh, so my primary responsibility is to work with folks who want to be middle school and high school agriculture teachers uh, here in the state of Florida and then beyond. And then a portion of my job is related to research. And what I'm really interested in doing with my research is developing a more thorough understanding of how teachers interact with curricular resources. And so that's how they pick up the things that they use to plan their instruction and plan that instruction for their students. And the ultimate goal with that big picture um, is I want to create more effective and more efficient resources for teachers to use. Exciting stuff. And it really is important stuff. And, and unfortunately, people don't get real excited about it, but I'm one of those nerds that really think it's uh, pretty central to to what we're doing. So, uh, Trey, give us a quick overview about the uh, the work we're going to be talking about today. Sure. So I'm very happy to. So I have done this work. Um, so my previous role is at New Mexico State University. And so I uh, did a similar study in New Mexico. I piloted this study uh, with special thanks to folks from Utah. So we kind of got a sense of how teachers in New Mexico and Utah were using curricular resources. Uh, and we wanted to replicate this study with our unique agriculture teacher population in the state of Florida. Um, and so what we did is send them out a survey um, to ask them what sorts of resources they use um, and then had some follow-up questions. So every resource that they said they used, they got a, a series of follow-up questions that's related to something known as their pedagogical design capacity. And so that is um, how they put in their instructional instructional resources and then how their beliefs and um, subject matter knowledge changes based on what they're doing with those resources. Um, to get us a kind of a broad sense 
across the board of all of the resources that they're using uh, and how they're using those within their classroom. All right. Very cool stuff. And that's our show. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I, I guess where do you even start? So what, what kind of things did yeah. you find that folks are using in their classrooms? Where are they finding these curricular resources that they have? I know I've got my own biases. I'm trying not uh-huh. to uh, bias too much before we get what the research tells us. Yeah. So I, I think the first thing to, to look at is that teachers, um, the, let's start with the amount of resources that they're using. Um, and so across the board, Florida teachers are using about seven to eight different resources. And so that's different. Um, and what's unique about this is we have the data from Utah. And if you know anything about Utah or spend any time there, they have worked, um, they being the ag teachers and those that support the agriculture teachers, have worked to provide a centralized resource for a lot of good materials for their teachers there. They're using about three to four, uh, but states where they don't have that centralized resource thing, the numbers go way up from there uh, as far as the number of resources that are they're using. So it's not just what resources they're using, but it's how many. Uh, and so we know that teachers in states without that strong centralized um, resource, they're, they're getting resources from a lot of different places. Um, and then what's interesting from there, if we look at um, one of the things that we did is divided these out by different teacher career stages. And so teachers in years um, one through three um, and four through eight, I think is how we broke that down. And then um, late phase and then wind down with 16 and up. And what we found is there's no difference in the amount of resources that they use between those different um, career stages. I mean, it 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 varied by like a tenth. So teachers later in their career are using just as many resources. And our that study really goes in to show that there's not a lot of difference in how beginning teachers are planning uh, for instruction versus teachers who have been at it for a while. So did those uh, resources change at all? I know you talked about the number was relatively the same, but did, you know, more experienced teachers look at different resources than early career teachers or were they kind of similar as well? Yeah, not really. Um, So what we found when we started to look at this is there was one that stood out as earlier career teachers are using it a little bit more. And that was um, Pinterest that's related to like a, a social media or an online uh, web source. And then earlier teachers are using uh, the Georgia Ag Ed resources and later career teachers aren't using that one. So we found a statistically difference, a statistically significant difference with that one for later teachers. But then we looked at like what the actual numbers mean and what the practical difference is and, and what that really means. And, um, you know, the, our author team kind of sat around and banged our heads together and we couldn't come up with any real practical difference. So we just kind of said, you know, there's probably not a whole lot to read into what's going on with that. So I think you go back and you make a good observation there as you look um, as our state ag ed systems are set up very differently and some have kind of a, a more curated list or curated opportunity for curricular resources and other ones don't. And I know it's hard to put a value on on good or bad to those sort of things, but let's let's just talk about wear and tear on teachers. 
And, you know, what, what, what is the idea that some of these teachers had to go to seven, eight, nine different resources to gain teaching materials? What's our implications to the teachers, we think, with something like yeah. that? Yeah, I, I'm curious to think or hear what y'all think about this, but my gut tells me is it's a lot um, that they're having to go to all of these resources. And it seems it seems like a better model to have things in one place that they can go to and try to find that. And so based on this study um, here at the University of Florida, what we're working to do um, I, I've worked with a group, a team of teachers to rework the foundations of agri-science standards, which is our like freshman intro course, um, to rework those standards to make sure that those are set. And then once we have those set, we've worked with the team to unpack those standards. And so that's, you have the standards. Now, what's the big content um, that you're going to have based on that? And then we're going to have a place that, on our website where people can submit different resources that they're using to teach that and it can all be kind of housed in one place. And so we're hoping um, to provide a more thorough resource that's not just a lesson plan repository or day one teach this, day two teach this, um, but it's it's providing a list of resources in a more centralized place. And so we're hoping to kind of move towards that. I feel like that gets you some vetting as well, because when you think about the number of places you're going to get resources, the number of resources in any one of those places, and then having to go through and say, okay, even just making the evaluation, is this quality or quality not? Quality control. Let yep. alone then, where does this fit mm -hmm. in my curriculum? How much am I going to have to change it? Like the instructional decisions are, are almost magnified when you go look for it compared to even when you make it yourself. So if you have a, have a vetted source, being able to reduce not just the number of places you have to go, but the decision load seems like a really big piece of, of that use. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, we conceptually frame this study with this idea of pedagogical design capacity and not to get too boring or into the weeds with what that means. Uh, but it really means that we are all different when we go to those resources and then we're all different in what we take away from those resources and bring those into our classroom. And the real value, it, it drives me up the wall when I hear people say, well, I'm teaching this curriculum in the classroom or we're, we're implementing or embedding this curriculum into what we're teaching. It's like, well, yeah, maybe, but you're probably not because if I hand Brian a box of stuff and say, go teach this. And then I hand Mike a box of stuff and I hand Becky a box of stuff and say, go teach this. I'm probably going to get three different things. And I probably should get three different things because all of your students and all of your situations are different. Well, and I think it's an interesting concept the way you're framing this around the idea of curricular resource. We should probably back up and define that what we talk about here in a minute, but it, it seems like for too often, education overall has designed this as a dichotomous thing. It's either a complete free for all, go find whatever you want. And most of the stuff out there is garbage. And how do you sort through it? Or I'm going to give you this line by line scripted kind of thing that I can tell you on day 107, you are supposed to be talking about this topic, showing this PowerPoint, doing this worksheet on it. And there's nothing in between where the idea of curricular resource use is allowing you again to, we'll call it the artistry of teaching as well as the science of teaching, bringing those kind of things together. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I use that word a lot more than I use the word curriculum because curriculum is so latent. It doesn't really mean anything unless it has another word strapped to it. Um, and so in the first day of my curriculum design course that I teach at the undergraduate level at University of Florida, and I do this for our graduate class as well, is we look at all of the different words that you can attach to the word curriculum or curricular or some sort of derivation of that and say, okay, what does it mean when you have that word slapped to it? And so, like, what does it mean when I say curricular adoption, right? It's the school board adopting and voting on the new math textbook that they're gonna use for that semester, right? Or if I say um, curricular revision, that means that you're sitting over the summer and thinking through how you're gonna teach that course and you're, you're revising how you're gonna teach that course. Um, and so, we really have to attach something to that word um, to make it mean something. And I think the most useful thing in school-based agricultural education is related to curricular resources because in agricultural education, these programs are all so different and our situations are so different. We have a bunch of resources um, that we kind of see as tools in the toolbox that teachers can pick up and choose and 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 make them make them fit. And I think the more that we can design them like those tools, the better off we are. One of the things that um, spend a little time thinking about is, um, you know, back to that quality thing and the amount of time and mental energy and capacity that we have. And, and so quite often we find ourselves, particularly if you got six or seven, maybe preps in a day, you're looking at curriculum, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can do that. And then you grab it, you get halfway through the lesson that day and <laughs> you're realizing, oh my, this is going to implode and it's not going to be look good. And so as you, as you think about the quality and you think about how teachers and some of the work that you're doing, I was kind of organizing that, that work, what, what did you learn about that, that process and, and how people go about that decision-making and organizing and using the, the curricular resources that they have at their fingertips? Yeah, I, I don't know that I have, that's a really good point. I don't know that I have anything that I can put my thumb on and say, this is the definite answer to this, but I'm, I'm gonna go, go off on a limb and kind of tell you what I think. The ag teachers that know their why that understand their purpose behind what they're doing, and they use these tools to help them accomplish their why are going to be better. Um, it's just like if you go if you go out to fix your car and you know why you are replacing the alternator so the car doesn't leave you stranded on the side of the highway because you found out the alternator was dying, then all of the tools you get are going to help you fix that and you know maybe if you have an open end wrench versus a box end wrench like you can still get that job done with with both of with either of those tools but if you go out to your out to the car and say okay i'm going to use my new toolbox that i got and i'm going to fix something on this car <laughs> it's probably not going to go well right I think it's a it's a great analogy because so often we we find this new shiny thing and we start doing stuff and you're like I have no idea what what just happened, 
you know, or why we're doing it or where it goes or, and the students have no idea. Or even uh-huh. just, I'm going to teach them something. Yeah. yeah. Who cares what they learn? <laughs> yeah. Well, I always tell my students, like, if you go to Google and you type in animal science lesson plan ideas, <laughs> you're, you're, pro- you're probably doing something wrong. You've lost that day. So um, <laughs> we need to think about how we're planning and designing instruction um, a little bit different. Um, but then on the, the same side of that coin, we need to rethink how we're designing resources for teachers a little bit differently. And we need to be intentional about that. And so for so long, we've had, uh, well, I'm just going to design curriculum for teachers and it's a notebook and it's day one. Here's the lesson plan. Here's the resource and do this. Well, what we're finding is that teachers don't necessarily just want a lesson plan and the PowerPoint and the worksheets to go along with it. But sometimes they do. Um, And it really depends on how how they're using those and and what those resources are all about. And so in the the paper with Dr. Barry and I, um, there is a graph at towards the end of that paper. And I want to direct people to that image just because I, I really, really like that. We we looked at the results from this, looked at the outcome in a lot of different ways and thought about, okay, how can we make sense of this and what does this really mean? Um, and we finally came up with um, this idea of putting these two variables on an X and a Y axis. And so there's the amount of adapting that people do when they interact with curricular resources. And so that's, you pick up this curricular resource and you say, okay, I love this, but I'm going to change this for what my students are doing. Um, I'm going to move this around here. I'm scrapping the the grouping activity. I'm planning, changing those plans before I go into it. So how much adapting happens within that? Then we also look at how much improvisation happens. And so that's you get up in front of the students and you think of a new way to to share that or a new way to teach that. a new story that you can tell, or, oh, this reminds me of another way, or, oh, this student isn't getting it, so I'm going to change up what I'm doing. How much of those different things um, change within that? And so you have things break into three different boxes. So we have lesson structure, which is high improvisation and low adapting. We have the follow the script curricular resources, which is low improvisation and low adapting. And then we have the idea generators, which are high improvisation and high adapting. And if you look at where those things kind of plot out, we actually looked at specific resources within those. And the high improvisation, high adapting, like way off the charts, had to stretch out the table a little bit to fit it on there is Pinterest, right? And, <laughs> and if you think about what Pinterest is, you're scrolling through and you see something and you're like, oh, that's a cool idea. That's a neat idea. I'm going to implement that into my teaching. But you've really got to be nimble as a a teacher on how you're going to plan instruction around that cool idea or cool thing that you saw or um, and then once you implement it and you start and kind of see how the students are doing with that you've got to be really kind of on your feet thinking through how you're going to do that and then those lesson structure ideas um, those are things like one less thing um, that provide an overall structure for what you're doing And in Florida, we didn't see a lot that went into that lesson structure thing. And that's why I talked about what we're hoping to do is build structure 
for what we're doing and help teachers unpack those standards and giving them that central. Because the expectation has been that teachers do that on their own. Um, and you, you just don't really have time to for six or seven classes. And it, it takes three or four years to, to kind of fully develop those. And then the follow the script piece, um, AET, animal care technologies, ag ed nets, things that are lesson plans, resources, ICEV kind of fell into that quadrant as well. Um, things that are day one, teach this, day two, um, teach this, or here's the lesson plan and resources kind of fall into that. So I, I love that chart and and I and I would ask people to kind of go out and take a look at it because it really does cause some thought there, Trey. But earlier we were talking about career stages. Um, do you mm -hmm. see or did you kind of pull that apart from a career stage standpoint and, you know, are our earlier career teachers more adaptive or they, they prefer more prescriptive and later career? Or did you see any yeah. differences there at all? Yeah, there's not really any differences. So I want to shout out, first of all, before I get too far into this, and I'm already way too far into this to, to do this. <laughs> justice, but I, I want to shout out Brooklyn Hall. Um, she actually did this um, study, and I encourage you to go back and read the paper. But she did this study as her undergraduate research thesis. Um, and so she came to me and said she wanted to, um, to do a study with this. She's an outstanding student. Um, she's currently a high school agriculture teacher at Keystone Heights, um, and is just absolutely rocking it and doing great things. Uh, but she did a fantastic job in the study, and so I want to give her a shout on on that. Uh, but really, we pulled apart and looked at what was the difference from adapting, offloading, and improvising, and didn't see a whole lot of stuff. There's more difference between the resources. Um, so if you go to ICEV versus agriculture in the classroom and how you're doing that and what you're doing with those resources. I just randomly picked those two out. There's probably not that much of a difference between those two, actually. Um, but there's more of a difference between the resources than there is from early to late to mid in those career stages. And so our big takeaway from that is ag teachers are ag teachers. And when we're developing resources for ag teachers, we're going to develop them for ag teachers. I've heard people say, well, new teachers really need um, lesson plans and structure and things that look like this. And the older ag teachers have it down. And what we're finding in this study does not bear that out. We need to plan things globally across the board for ag teachers. And honestly, it, it was funny, um, you know, you're working with a beginning researcher and you run things and you see you know, you hit that and the SPSS output squirts out some things and it says, yeah, it, there's nothing really statistically significant here. And then there's a moment of disappointment that kind of, well, <laughs> our, finding, our findings aren't significant. That's not good. I said, no, 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 let's think about this. That's actually a good thing that they're not significant, right? Because if there's not a difference now, all of a sudden, I don't have to create resources for beginning teachers and then create something different for middle career teachers and then create something for later career teachers because we don't have time to do all of that. So now we can create something for agriculture teachers broadly and enroll with it. You know, Trey, you, I think this idea is, is some really exciting work and, you know, we're, we're, we all work on college campuses and we, we get grant resources from USDA or we do other projects and every group I talk to says, 
<clears throat> I'm going to develop uh, this lesson plan. I'm going to develop curriculum for ag teachers to do this. And everybody does this stuff and they spend all this money and they develop this curriculum and it, l- it used to live on a shelf and die. And now it lives on a website and dies. So yeah. w- what, what do we tell folks about how, how they get their information out to ag teachers in a curricular resource that people, that ag teachers can and will actually use in their, in their classrooms? Yeah. Is my office number or email attached to this? <laughs> um, so, no, it, it's pick up the phone and call someone with some curricular resource chops at your university, right? And, and we're starting to, to see that happen more and more. Uh, but if you want to create something, that's great. Create something. Do it. Give Teachers need resources. But the, what we're finding for it to be effective for the teachers to use, it really needs to be tied in with what are their goals and how does it fit in with the standards that already exist? And so that, it just adds a, another couple of layers to it. Um, and sure, anyone can create a resource and a material, but if you want something that's going to be used by ag teachers and be adopted, um, that takes some curricular development chops and, and that's that's a skill. So yeah. find someone with that skill who's able to do it. Yeah, I think it's a great way to wrap this thing up that, that uh, curricular resource development is an important thing to, to do. And um, you also, as you pointed out there, it's not just tying it to the standards. Anybody can go and look at a standards list in a, in a, in a content sheet and connect them, but it's understanding the goals. And again, it goes back to every teacher understanding their why, because we tell all the time, there are, there are more than enough curricular resources out there in the world. The, the challenge is being able to figure out which one's the good stuff and which is the stuff that you that you shouldn't be using at all. So, Trey, thank you so much for sharing this work on Outpillage with us today. We encourage everybody to interact on our social media and uh, reach out to Trey for more comments and questions for him. And, Trey, just really excited that you are you are sharing and doing the work that you're doing here. So thank you for spending some time with us today on Outpillage. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.